Well, this morning, uh, you're going to have to pay really quick attention, uh, really close attention. And so um, just, you know, just pay close attention this morning. We're going to go move along pretty quickly through the Christmas message this morning. Um, how many of you have ever kind of found yourself in a situation like, you ever find yourself becoming so familiar with something that you kind of gloss over it and you kind of miss things at times? Has that ever happened to you guys? Like, have you ever, you know, if you've ever been you know, married for more than like, you know, two or three years, sometimes, you know, you just, you just miss things, right? Like, you know, like all of a sudden, you know, your wife gets your hair, her haircut or your husband and because you're so familiar with a person, you don't even, you just kind of miss the fact that they got their haircut. Has that ever happened to you guys? But then you see somebody else and you're like, oh, you got your haircut, you know, and it's just like, well, wait a minute, you didn't even notice when I got my haircut. Has that ever, anybody besides, okay, a couple of us, a couple of us. Um, so sometimes, you know, I get not worried or concerned, but sometimes I feel like that with the Bible, with the Christmas story in particular. Was that funny there, Jenny? <laughs> okay. Might want to come up and share that with everybody, Jenny? Oh, boy. All right. So, <laughs> so sometimes, right, you know, you be, I, I feel like I become so familiar with the Christmas story that it's like, as a pastor, sometimes it's hard. Like, well, what am I going to teach this year? You know, how am I going to make it come alive? And, you know, um, this year, as I was praying about it this past couple of weeks, we're going to read a passage that we've been reading. But I'm, I'm, I really hope there's three words. You only have to remember three words this morning when you walk away. Um, to make it super simple for you, just three words that you have to remember. And those words are for, everybody say for, for. from, and fulfill. Only three words. That's all you have to remember this morning. We're going to find these three key words in our passage this morning. For, from, and fulfill. And we're going to talk about, well, what, how does that apply? What does that mean? Um, and again, hopefully you, some things will kind of jump out at you as we read the passage this morning. And you'll see those words, for, from, and fulfill. And um, you'll be able to walk away this morning like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the Christmas story in a little bit different light. God's speaking to me a little bit differently because I've been so familiar with this. I've just kind of missed something before. Um, in particular, that word fulfill is a really interesting word. And you don't need to go there yet, Karen. Um, but that word fulfill... Because the Bible, the Gospel of Matthew and in Luke, the Gospel writers talk about how Jesus came to fulfill these prophecies about the coming Messiah. In Matthew and Luke, quote some Old Testament passages that we've heard before. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, you know, that's where the Savior would come from. And... and um, it's interesting because those prophecies were written 700 years prior to Jesus' coming. 700 years. But what's really interesting is that Jesus' coming, when he came, the Bible tells us that before the foundations of the world were laid... Before God even created our world, God had this plan, and he would send Jesus at the perfect, at the right time. Matter of fact, 
it's on the, like, maybe the second to last slide here, and you can actually go there. Uh, Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. A crazy passage. It says, all the people who belong to this world, they worshiped this beast, this false god. This is the end time revelation type stuff. The people who belong to this world, who take the mark of the beast on their wrist or on their forehead, you know, people who, who belong to this world, who love the world more than they love Jesus Christ, they are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life. Like there's this book that God has. Is it a, you know, I don't know, is this a kind of a little bit metaphorical? Like it's a big book, this book of life. It says, they are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the Lamb, speaking of Jesus, who was slaughtered before the world was made. That's, not, that's just like, John is telling us that this plan that God had, that Jesus would come at the right moment and that his life would be a sacrifice for you and I, like that God had this plan before the foundations of the world were even created, that there was this book of life and that God knows and he knew before the world was even formed that God knew that. So Jesus coming when he came 2,000 years ago, you know, sometimes, you know, this is kind of a funny ha-ha joke. It's like, okay, God, if, you know, if you knew this before the foundations of the world, don't you think you'd have at least made a, a reservation for a room for Joseph and Mary? <laughs> right? Like, but it's just shocking to me. When I think about the Christmas story, that Jesus coming that moment fulfilled the prophecy and the plan that God made before the foundations of the world. And I think about God's plan and, and how God has a plan. When I think about, you know, uh, Christmas, we should think about fulfilled. And I'm kind of doing my sermon backwards, but that's okay. So we, think, we should think about the word fulfilled. That Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. Jesus fulfilled the plan. Like God's plan for Christmas didn't just start 2,000 years ago or even 2,700 years ago when these prophecies happened. God's plan for Jesus to come before Adam ever had a problem, God had an answer. How do you like that one? Before Adam ever sinned, before Adam ever had a problem, God had an answer, God had a solution. God had a plan. And Jesus was fulfilling the plan of God. It's all a part of his process. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, is another Old Testament passage. And this guy named Jeremiah is writing to God's people who are in the middle of uh, Babylon and they're being held captive and. You know, life is kind of falling around apart around them. It feels like. You ever felt like your life is falling around apart around you? And Jeremiah prophesies and speaks to them on behalf of God because he was a prophet, a spokesperson for God. And this is what he says to them. As they're living in a foreign land, he says, hey guys, 
I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I have plans that are for good and not for disaster. I have plans to give you a future and a hope. God's in control. We can think about our lives and we can think about the difficulties and the struggles and and God wants you to know this year at Christmas time as you think about this that God has a plan for you. It's a plan for good and not disaster. A plan to give you a future and a hope. Jesus came to fulfill the plan of God. God wants you to know this morning he has a plan for you. He has a purpose for your life. Ultimately, that purpose is to be in relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's the ultimate purpose that God has for us. You know, um, you know here at North Point, one of the things that we tell you guys is that you know, we have a saying that life change happens best in relationships. And so we have over 31 groups. As a matter of fact, we have a life group leaders meeting immediately after service today. And, and um, we have over 31 groups. We have over 330 adults or people in life groups here at North Point. That's a lot for a church our size. And we think that's the best indicator of spiritual health of a church is how many people are in, in community. Because life change happens best in relationships. So I myself, because I need lots of help, I'm in like four different groups. Because I'm super needy. But one of my groups that I'm in, um, we, we have a theologian, and her name is Christy, and she said something really profound one night. We were talking about God's plan and God's purpose or whatever, and, and, and she said, yeah, just paraphrase, she says, yeah, I, I kind of feel like it's kind of like a GPS. I think I may have shared this with you guys before. And she said, you know, I know God has a place where he's taking us to. And you know what, sometimes when you, you know your destination, but you put it, plug it in your GPS, it tells you the best, the quickest route to get to where you're going, right? But you always have a choice. Are you going to follow Google? Are you going to follow Waze and trust it? Or are you going to kind of do your own thing? How many of you like to do your own thing? Raise your hand. Most of us do. A lot of us do, right? And when you do that, and all of a sudden you make a turn where you're not supposed to make a turn, does your destination change? No, but what does it say? Rerouting, right? And oftentimes I feel like that, right? God, I know where you're taking me. And ultimately, obviously, where God is taking us is just so you know, it's not heaven. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus. God's like, I have a plan. I have a purpose. I know where I'm taking you. But so often I take a different path and God says, I'm rerouting you, rerouting you. Still haven't lost you, still in control, still, you know, you just you can follow me, listen to me. I've got a plan for your life. And I'm rerouting you to where you need to go. Let's go back to um, Matthew chapter 1. So we can kind of jump back a little bit. Matthew chapter 1, of course, this is the narrative about the birth of Christ. And you're going to kind of see those three words for, from, and fulfill. Again, this is the, the Christmas, the story narrative of the birth of Christ. Is now, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, this is the English standard version. Just typically read from the New Living Translation. This is the ESV. 
It says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And here's where we're going to see those three words. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people. God was letting us know the intention from the very beginning. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then the angel quotes from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah, a 700-year-old prophecy. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, which they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God, God with us. In Matthew chapter 2, we see similar things that are being said. Again, verse 5 says, as King Herod saying, hey, where is this Messiah going to be born? They said, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And then these religious leaders are going to quote the prophet Micah and another prophecy 700 years old about what would happen in Bethlehem. So let me, again, give you these, your fill-ins here. Very first one, verse 21, that word for. The red is your kind of your fill-in, just three words. For he will save. When you think about Christmas this year, just remember four. What did Jesus come? Why did he come? He came to save us. For he will save. Aren't you glad that you can't save yourself? That there's nothing that we can do? Isaiah says that our works of righteousness, our good works are like filthy rags. And it literally means menstrual rags. You know, when a, you, you get it, menstrual rags, right? And we're reminded that he, that Jesus will rescue us. That Jesus is the one who is going to save us from our sins. That Jesus is going to, again, rescue us. There's nothing I can do to save myself. Jesus is the focus here. You know, it's, it's interesting. You know, you, I, I think, oh, well, everybody knows this. Why do I have to say this again and again, you know? Everybody knows this, that Jesus will save us, that we can't save ourselves. Uh, Christine and Taryn and I were doing some door-to-door -door witnessing this past, what night was that, Christine? Wednesday. Thanks, Taryn. We're doing some door-to-door -door witnessing Wednesday night. Because you guys know, you know, I tell you guys this, like, you know, one of my heart's desires that we, I'd have, be able to lead five people to Jesus who don't know Jesus outside of our church. And so, I mean, I'm going to go out there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself, and I told the girls, you know, I don't like doing it. You, how many of you like knocking on random strangers' doors? Not what I consider fun, right? But I want to be faithful. I want to use the gifts that God has given me. And I'm super comfortable talking to random strangers about whatever. And so I go with the girls, with these two girls, Taryn and Christina. We go knock. 
and we say, hey, we're from North Point. We're just doing a little spiritual survey. Can we ask you four questions? And I've probably done this six times. Jason's dad, Greg, got me started doing this early this year. Back in February was the first time I think I went freezing cold. If someone came to my door and knocked on my door, I'd be calling the police, get away from me. There's no way I'm answering the door. But for some reason, these crazy people, they open their doors. And they let us talk to them. And we do these little, we ask them these spiritual survey questions. And the last question we say is, listen, if you were to die tonight and you were standing before God and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And do you know about 75% of the people that we knock on their doors, you know what they say? Well, I'm a really good person. I really try to help people. I'm kind and compassionate you know, I've done a lot of good things. Nothing at all about Jesus, that Jesus will save me, that I've trusted very, there are a few people like this past week, we had one lady, she was definitely a born-again Christian. She's like, oh yeah, it's all about Jesus. I trusted Jesus. But almost most of these people, and probably people watching online, maybe some of you guys are here today, you think, oh, well, I'm going to be saved because, you know, God's going to let me in heaven. No, Scripture's really clear. It's all about Jesus, that Jesus will save us. Someone say amen. amen. And there's so many passages of Scripture, we'd be silly. We'd be here all day trying to, but I'll just, just to share a few of them, right? Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, in the New Testament, the Lord refers specifically to Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved, will be rescued. From what? From eternal separation from God. Right? That there is a heaven, that there is a hell. There is eternity with God and there is eternity without him. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Christmas is all about that, that he will save us. John 3, 16, 17, of course, you guys know this. For this is how God loved the world. He loved us so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Jesus Christ. Someone say amen. That's so good. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that we can't, we, God saved you by his grace when you believed in Jesus. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so no one can boast about it. For Jesus will save us. He came to save us. That was God's intent in sending him. Verse 21 goes on. The next villain says, he will save us what? From our sins. That's what he came to save us from. The penalty, the punishment, eternal separation. God came to save us from our sins. You know, when I think of that word sins, I like to put that word, the word disobedience. Because sins at times seems a little bit ambiguous. You know, technically it means like with a, you think of a bow and arrow and missing the mark. And I think about disobedience, how God reveals his plans, his purposes, his ways. And I know that I've sinned when I'm disobedient to God's best for my life. Have you ever been disobedient? 
Are you living in disobedience right now? As God reveals things to you in his word, he will save us from our sins, the consequence, the penalty of our sins. Romans 4, 8, right? What joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Oh, you know what it's like to confess your sins, to come in alignment and agreement with God and say, God, I recognize that this is sin and I confess this to you. And God, I want to live according to your plans and your purposes for my life. God, would you forgive me? What joy for people whose record has been cleared. Paul says, John says, I am writing to you who are God's children because you're God's children because your sins have been forgiven again through Jesus. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, Jesus, even after dying, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. He'll save us from our sins, from the consequence, the penalty. You know what it doesn't say? That Jesus will save us from having a difficult time. You know, I was struck by that this past week as I was doing my devotionals. Myself and another guy in our church, we were reading through, we were reading through 2 Timothy this week. And I thought about the Apostle Paul, you know, thinking about this message and the sermon about how God saves me from the consequence of penalty of my sins, right? That's why Jesus came to restore my relationship with the Father, but he doesn't save me through the difficult moment, or he doesn't save me from difficult moments and seasons of my life. He's with me in those moments, but he doesn't save me from those moments. And I thought about the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to how Paul ends his letter to Timothy, who was a young pastor. He talks about this guy named Demas, who has deserted him. Paul says, Demas, so he loved the world so much that this dude, Demas, deserted me. He talks about another guy named Alexander, who's a coppersmith, who did me much harm. He talks about everybody else. He says, hey, everyone else has abandoned me. You would think the Apostle Paul, who's probably the most influential Christian outside of Jesus Christ, right? he's the most influential Christian of all times, like, oh, well, he was following God's plan, his purposes. Everything would go well in his life. He was like, no, Demas deserted me. Alexander caused me great harm. And everybody else, even, in fact, they abandoned me. So Jesus comes. He promises to be with us, but he doesn't save us from difficulty. And some of us have had a misperception of that. And some of us are maybe on the borderline of turning our back and walking away. It's like, oh, well, Jesus, I thought you were going to save me from all that. He's like, no, I came to save you from your sin, not necessarily from having a difficult time. Matter of fact, we know that Jesus says, hey, you, you follow me. You're going to experience a difficult time in your life. So for, from, and I already talked about fulfill, right? Verse 22 says that Jesus came to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. And I told you, we won't read them again, but these different passages in Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. Jesus came to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. Listen to how a couple other passages put it like this. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. Paul again is writing. He says, when the set time had fully come... 
God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to buy back, to purchase those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Like, notice that first phrase, when the set time had fully come. Like, God planned this. God knew. Jesus came to fulfill a plan, a purpose that God had set. First Peter puts it like this. God chose him, Jesus, as our ransom when? Long before the world began. Like this idea of Christmas about Jesus coming again didn't just happen 2,000 years ago or 2,700 years ago or all the way back when Adam, Adam was created. It says before the world began, God had this plan. That's crazy to me to think about that, that Jesus came to fulfill God's plan that God gave before the world began. Ephesians 3.11, 10 and 11 says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom. wisdom. This was his eternal plan, which God carried out through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is an eternal plan. Two more passages real quick. Titus chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul's writing to Titus. He says, I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, God promised them before the world began. I just, it's like, wow, God. Your plan was to send Jesus Christ again. Revelation 13, 8 says that the lamb was slain, slaughtered, before the world was made. Like none of this caught God by surprise. Adam's sin, where we're at, our situation, our circumstances, none of this stuff catches God by surprise. That God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. Just a couple more things that I wrote on on my notes. The birth of Jesus, it reminds you and I, reminds us that God's plan of redemption was set in place before he even created the beings who would, he would be, who would be redeemed. God's plan of redemption. God wasn't surprised by the fall of Adam or any other evidence of the fallen nature of mankind. God isn't making it up as he goes along. It's all going according to his plan. Christmas reminds me that God has a plan, that God has a purpose for my life, and God's plan is good, and his plan is for me to be more like Jesus. His plan is for me to be in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. You know, this week has been a hard week here at North Point. You know, I've been the pastor here for 21 years, and it's, I don't, you know, uh, some, on weeks like this, I have to remind myself, God, I trust you. I know you have a plan. I know you have a purpose. I know your plans for our lives are good. I know this plan that you have was set in place even before the world was created. And I trust you, Jesus. It's been a hard week. Some of you know. We've had five people that are connected to our church pass away this past week. And that's hard. And it's way harder for some of you than it is for me. It's a really, really hard week. And I think about this message this morning. I think about some of the other circumstances that are going on in some of your lives. I know, you know, the difficulties, the challenges that you guys are facing. 
And I, I know, the, again, the Christmas story, we can become so familiar with it that we miss how God wants to speak to us. We miss some of the details that God wants to speak to us about. Jesus is the one who comes, and he saves us. And he saves us from our sins. And he came to fulfill God's plan. And God wants to save you and has a plan for your life too. Will you trust him this morning? In spite of all that's going on, will you turn from your own way of doing things to God, I want to follow you. I recognize I've been living in disobedience to you. I want to trust you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I know that um, there are people watching online, there are people here in our room this morning who might be hearing these words for the first time. Jesus, would we be aware of your presence right now here in this room and wherever we're at watching? Jesus, we thank you that you came to save us. That it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about your life, the price you pay, going to the cross for us. Father, if there are those that are here this morning who've never turned their life over to you, I pray and ask that this morning would be that moment that they would do that. That you would save them, rescue them. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, I encourage you this morning, just pray along to yourself with me. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, into my life. Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, would you forgive me of my past, my disobedience? Would you forgive me of my sins? I don't understand what it all means right now, but I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to live for you. Make me a new person, Jesus. Jesus, I pray for my friends that prayed that. Whether they would experience a newness of life this morning. And you relieve the weight and the burden of sin. Jesus, I pray for my friends that are here this morning that have been following you, but Lord, have been making some choices recently to do their own thing, to live their life their own way, that this morning, through the simple message message this morning, they would choose this morning to surrender and yield to you and to follow you, Jesus, your will and your purpose and your ways. Jesus, help us to have hope this morning that you are in control and that we can trust you, Jesus. That you set this plan into motion before our world ever was formed. We can trust you. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we